0: jack county welcome to get the facts jack a weekly podcast from jack county texas we are sharing factual information to the citizens of jack county i am your host judge brian keith Humphreys, and to my left cat daddy i still like cat daddy more than anything else and you're rocking the vest today my friend i'll
1: tell you what uh i think you're wearing off on me so uh there's a few of you guys that i saw walking around and i woke up this morning cold and i thought the vest has
0: got to go on Yeah. You're, so it You kinda like a, look like a mini me, so you know. <laughs> well, that's okay. Just better looking. You know what Cooper <laughs> Dr. Cooper wears a vest whenever he's working in the ER and we always give him a hard time because he always wears a north faced vest. And now you're rocking one. It looks pretty well, sharp. Not quite north face, but it's uh That's okay. This was not North Face. It'll work. This is Amazon Prime. I got it for like, you know. Yeah. It's one bucks. of their staples. Yeah. Heck yeah. And, nice and, and warm. Amazon does deliver in Jack County, by the way. Yes, sir. Every day. (laughs) Even Sundays. That's part of it. That's part of it. Well, we are very excited. We have got a special guest today that I think most people will be surprised that's here. Right. Yeah. Mr. Jason Brinkley. He is the Cook County judge who has recently... Announced that he will be running for Texas House District 68. Fantastic. And Jason, I'm so pumped that you are here and taking your time. And we've had this conversation. I said, Man, you've got two candidates that have announced that they're running for this office, and you've come and you've made that opportunity. You've decided to come down here and spend some time with us. And I really appreciate that, Jason. Well, thank you. I, l- I love the setup y- you guys have here. It's, it's nice. I've
1: heard a couple of y'all's podcasts. I think. Y- You've got something going on here that's really neat and I hope y'all y'all continue it because it's a good way to get the message out to to people because everybody gets bombarded with with social media with with TV with everything but uh, especially at the county level the more you can get that message out about what's going on the the more informed people are the better better decisions and better community you'll have
0: I love it because it is so nice to talk to somebody, another county judge, that understands what we go through with commissioner's court. And it's, you know, we can have a great open dialect, but as soon as the press walks in and starts taking notes, I guarantee you my commissioners, they clam up. They don't want to say a word, right? And guess who's speaking? Me. The same thing. You're the same way. And sometimes what we say doesn't necessarily come across in the newspaper the way we intended it and i think that's something that that i've experienced in in six years as county judge is we
1: can talk about a very important issue to our community and we can have some good dialogue of of 30 40 minutes on this topic and it's nuanced it's very nuanced topic and the paper and, and i understand they're 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 in a position to sell papers they're either run a headline that has nothing to do with that and mention you know one sentence about that, or they will they will misconstrue the entire conversation. So we actually, because of of COVID, stream our commissioners court meetings now, and, and we've had some pretty popular uh, um, appreciation for doing that. And I think that's something that'll continue continue after after COVID. But I, I like the way that you guys are, have this set up. It's a way to kind of go in depth into the issues and in depth into what's going on. Uh, in Jack County well it's a
0: way that we could get factual information out to our community and then we can we can select the information and we can be as transparent in my not just giving specific facts we can allow our listeners to get to know the individuals to, to become intimate and that's why you're here today uh, my goal today is to allow the people of not only Jack County but also in district 68 the ability to know you on a personal level, to get to know who Jason is, and um, to kind of get a feel of who you are. My gosh, this is a fast and fur- furious kind of an a, a election. It is, isn't it? I mean, the governor has set the date. The election date is... The
1: election date is January 23rd, which is just a few weeks away, but early voting actually starts in about 11 days mm-hmm. on, on January 11th. So he set that... He set that on Monday, so two weeks before early voting begins. There is more counties in the district than there is days between when he set it and voting starts.
0: That's crazy.
1: That is is intense. You know, it looks like a speedboat going across the water. The motor's just touching the touching the water to give you propelling, but you're never touching, you know, <laughs> and you're just
0: flying across. And you mid-air. better hope that lake is like glass because <laughs> yes. otherwise it could be <laughs> catastrophic. So.
1: And, and it's crazy. It's, it's kind of like uh, drinking from a fire hose, trying to get all this done. And, and I know of course filing doesn't, doesn't end until next Monday, but I know there's at least three of us that are in here now and we're, we're probably all scrambling to do the same thing. Right. And it's such a short period, but I think it's it's kind of needed to a certain extent too because session starts January twelfth, and so this seat will be vacant when session starts, and and this session is going to be a very, very important session, uh, not only because of COVID but because of redistricting, and so the the sooner we can get somebody in this seat, whether it's myself, uh, which I, I hope it is, or it's one of the other two, we need to, or somebody that hasn't filed, we need to get this seat filled quickly
0: yeah well you know and that's one of the things i really want us to i'm taking notes as we're visiting and so i want to make sure we circle back uh about what what austin what the legislative session you as a county judge you have worked with commissioner's court you know firsthand we are the chief financial officers of the county and you being from cook county you know how important that relationship is with Austin and it scares the heck out of us every year every two years when legislative meets yes and because we don't know what they're going to throw at us it's it's what are they going to do to us this session right and 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 it's been controversial and it kind of seems like i'm i love that we have somebody who is an elected official that that can go to Austin and, and bring that back or have that representation there uh, in the decisions that's being made. And so, to me, that's critical. But before we, before we get to that, tell us a little bit about your background. How, how in the world did you become county judge? Tell me about your, your, um, your, uh, your time as a justice of the peace. Tell me about your time at uh, Oklahoma City Law School. Tell me about your uh, wife, who uh, her name is uh, Katie. And, uh, tell us a little bit about, let us, let us know who you are. Sure. I was,
1: I was born in Cook County. My, my family's been in that County for, uh, at, at least five generations. It's actually probably goes back six or seven. Um, went to, to high school there at, at Valley View. So on the Southern part of Cook County, uh, graduated in 2001 from, from Valley View and went off to A&M, which was probably some of the most enjoyable experience, uh, uh that I've had and, and graduated from Texas A&M in 2005 with a, a degree in political science. Whoop.
0: There we go. Man, I, there's a common thread going through here. I, I man. see this. Now, I'm class 87, and I bleed maroon, and I was in the Corps Cadets. I did it all. Now, we're not going to talk about GPA. All that it matters is I graduated, I walk across the stage, and I have a diploma.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we're not going to talk about college football playoffs either. But
0: <laughs> Well, hold on. Well, since you mentioned it, I wore this just for you today. I like it. The like Aggies it. are going to be in the orange bowl. They are. They're going to play football Saturday. <laughs> Saturday at seven o'clock. So make sure you tune in. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they should be. Uh, they should be playing in the playoffs. But uh... they should be.
0: But anyway, we won't talk. <laughs> we we about won't that. go there. Yeah. We won't yeah, talk about that's Notre a Dame whole football. That's a whole different. Yeah, podcast. Yeah, we could have another podcast about that. So. Tell us, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Well,
1: I, I went down a, a rabbit trail, but uh, after I graduated from, from Texas A&M, I went to Oklahoma City School of Law, uh, spent a couple of years, three years up in Oklahoma, and decided I wanted to get the heck back to Texas. Uh, so I graduated in 2008, opened up a practice, uh, a law practice there, in, in actually in Denton with a, a, a former uh, law school colleague of mine, and, and then eventually moved that to Gainesville, uh, during that time, I was appointed as justice of the peace uh, there in Cook County. There was a vacancy that came available um, through its own little set of dominoes. The the county judge at that time retired. That seat was filled by the JP at that time, and then which created a vacancy in that JP position. Uh, I applied to to fill that two years. It was on that term, so I served two years, and then I was reelected for for another four years. So I spent six years as a justice of the peace. Uh, decided that I uh, um, would apply or would seek the, the county judge job. Uh, the county judge at that time wasn't seeking re-election, so it was an open seat. Uh, so I was, that election happened in 2014, and then I was sworn in as county judge in 2015. Wow. And so for the past six years, I've been uh, been county judge, and tried to be pretty active, uh, as you know, um, in in not only Cook County, but, regionally at the state level and even at the national level, I've, I've got the the belief that, uh, especially as county officials, our duty is to advocate for our county. Mm-hmm. And if we have the ability, and not everybody's got that ability, either because of financials or because of personal reasons, but if we have the ability to advocate outside of our county for our county, then we've got the duty to do that. And so I've really taken that to heart. I, I was president of our council of government for for five years just because they didn't find anybody else that was gullible enough to do it, I think. But, uh, um, that was a, a reason that inclu- includes Cook, Grayson, and, and, and Fannin County, uh, also served on the, up until just a few days ago, served on the board of directors for the Texas association of counties and for the national association of counties and, and, you know, trying to push issues that impact counties, because as you said, each legislative session, uh, I think there's a lack of knowledge about how local government works. Uh, I don't think it's intentional as much as it is just that absent, absentness of knowledge. And so to, to try to educate uh, our state leaders on the impacts of what happens to, to local government when decisions are made without that
0: knowledge. It's it's critical. That's the only and, – and one of the things that we're – I'm glad to – to hear that you said that you worked with or that you were on the board at TAC, which is really, um, that's really how we've successfully allowed our voice to be heard in Austin. And, you know, there were some changes last legislative session that eliminated some of that voice. Yes, yeah. And almost to the point that um, some of the senators and some of the representatives have aggressively gone against that type of lobbying and um, that's why it's so critical that we have a local official, elected official in Austin, because um, there's a little bit of sense around our commissioner's court table that, um, that the people in Austin necessarily don't want to hear what the local government has to say. And, and I guess I give them more faith than they don't want to hear it.
1: Uh, it's that it's not being heard. And I think it's not from lack of effort. It's but there is a disconnect, and I don't know a hundred percent of what's causing that disconnect. Um, but there, but I think one of the fundamental cornerstones of that is the number of individuals that on our in our Texas legislature that have either served as as a county commissioner or a county judge or on the city council or on the school board is very minimal, and so they don't have that knowledge of what's going on at the local level because we're the boots on the ground we're the we're the we're where the rubber meets the road and where things actually happen the state's up there to give oversight
0: but the execution of that happens at the local level so what do you think are some of the the big what do you think the what's going to happen in the next session what do you think the big um hot topics going to be and how do you how as a uh, the freshman uh, representative how in the world are you going to be a very small fish in a very big pond with a bunch of sharks?
1: And I think that's a difficult situation on whoever wins this seat. We're going to be the rookie of rookies. So we're going to get the broom closet in the back. Um, but it's it's how quick you can hit the ground running. Uh, this session is going to be a whirlwind of a session, not only because the issue with COVID and the response to COVID is going to come up, whether they're, the executive powers, emergency powers of the governor needs to be revised or revamped. Uh, may even look at how that impacts local communities and, and local authority on, as far as those powers. Uh, financially, the, the budget of commissioner's court, or not commissioner's court, but the, the state budget's going to be very uh, very difficult to balance in a, in a bad economy uh, that, we, that we are in now. And probably the other elephant in the room and it may have to require a special session to do it is going to be redistricting, and those are all very important things that uh, I've I've made a few contacts in Austin over the over the six years as county judge. I hope that I could utilize that. But any of us would be kidding ourselves if we're going to make if we're going to be the biggest impact in Austin yeah. in a in a as a freshman.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. It's <laughs> I, we had this conversation before we uh, we started uh, recording, but you know, it's going to be an exhausting two, three weeks. It's going to exhaust your energy, your your mental uh, capacity, your finances, and you're going to have to go to Austin with limited resources and make an impact quickly. But let me tell you something, Jason. You know, you didn't run for this office just in that three-week period. You've been running for this position for the last six, seven years. And all your outside efforts working with, um, you know, Association of Counties on a national level and on a, a state level with TAC uh, has prepared you for that. And so I want to make sure uh, the, the listeners here, you didn't just decide to do this uh, overnight Everything that you've done since you were um, appointed as JP has prepared you for an opportunity to serve and represent um, district sixty eight in austin
1: and I think that's that's right to the extent that obviously you you developed that background knowledge being being a local official for over a decade uh, but in addition it's it's seeing how the system works in austin uh, how difficult that is and and sometimes inspirational even on that rare occasion. Uh, and, and how that interaction even happens with, with the national level and, and uh, the chaos that is, is going to ensue in, in, at the national level or has always ensued at the national level as well. So it's, it's figuring out how those dynamics work. And I think I, I, think I bring a, a, a base level of understanding and knowledge of how those systems work and where the right players are. Um, but, like I said, it would be foolish for any of us to think that we would be one of those players
0: immediately. I totally I, I totally agree with you. we we kind of tongue in cheek says, oh my gosh, what if what have we just signed up to do? And so you know, um, I think it's going to be it's going to be a a, a quick three weeks. Uh, we anticipate there's going to be a runoff, very possible, very likely. Uh, but you know, I, I know that your desire is to win it outright. And so, how are you going to be able to reach all the counties? How many total counties is in sixty-eight? There's twenty-two counties. Twenty-two. How how are you going to make? How are you going to? How are you going to? How are you going to make that special touch with all the voters in that district? That's huge.
1: Well, I think in in three weeks, it's it's almost impossible. I mean, anybody would be fooling themselves to think otherwise. But all we can do is try our best to to do that, and that's all that I intend to do is try. I will hit every county in that period, and I will talk to everybody I can. But with such a short shot clock on this, to to think that we will be able to to touch and talk to and have detailed conversations with with every voter or every likely voter is is impossible. Uh, so yeah, it's it's going to be a very big challenge. Uh, it's it's a lot of driving and uh, a, a lot of sleepless nights on, on figuring out what you're doing the next day. Uh, but it's, it's a challenge that I'm, I'm ready for and and have already engaged in over the
0: last few days, uh, gearing up for it. How, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions here. How do you think that, uh, Austin has responded? Um, how do you think we've responded even on a County level to the COVID situation?
1: You know, that's a, that's a very difficult question because early on in COVID and and I know you you know this as well as I do what we thought it was going to be was potentially much worse than I think what it ended up being. Not that it was it's, it's it's bad for a lot of people and that is completely true and it's still a huge issue especially for for medical personnel and and resources. And there's a lot of people that have struggled with it and that's not to to be taken lightly. Uh but I think there was some overreaction that happened on the early end of it. And, and I'm not saying that was irresponsible because we didn't know, we didn't know what we were dealing with, but you know, I, I, I believe that, you know, when it gets to mask and mandates, I believe masks help. They're not the be all end all, but they help. I don't see that shutting down businesses solves anything.
0: It, it will cripple a small County like, like Jack County.
1: And we've had businesses in Cook County that are that have had to close permanently, or are struggling, scraping together everything they can to survive. So the the minimum, if any, impact to to stem the virus that happens on a shutdown has to be evaluated against what that does to to those small businesses, to those communities, to to things like mental health. Uh, so I think we've. At the, at, the, at the governor's level because we, we've taken every off-road we can. When the governor gives local government the authority to either open up more, we've always taken that opportunity. We've always tried to allow our businesses to open up the max that we can. Right. But most of that's set at the state level, or almost all of that's set at the state level. And I think there's been initially maybe an overreaction, but I don't think we've worked to correct that soon enough.
0: Right, that's one thing. Uh, Frank Hefner, being our emergency management coordinator, and myself, and then our local health authority, Doctor Robert Cooper, we have we have Austin on speed dial. We've got Drew Springer's office on speed dial. Pat Fallon's office. Anybody that we can get to, because you would not, you would never think that the GAs that have been passed down, specifically GA thirty two that that addresses the. Um, the hospital capacity before they can, you know, not do elective surgeries. How it would affect a small rural community, and it has dramatically impacted us. Um, but anyway, those type of things. Um, do do you think? Do you think that we've the next thing on COVID is going to be um, the vaccine? Yes. Do you do you think that our response? You know, of course, the federal level is a little bit out of our control. Do you think that we've responded correctly with the distribution of the vaccine at a state level? Absolutely not. I think that,
1: and we talked a little bit beforehand uh, on the struggle with getting vaccine to rural communities. And and I know you guys are struggling with it. We're struggling with it in Cook County. Uh, I'm still the acting County judge, and we can get into that in just a little bit on how that scenario all plays out. But We are still struggling to get any vaccine, and we have a plan. We have a local plan on how to distribute that, but those vaccines are going to the more urban areas. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't get volume-wise more, but it should be proportional. Correct. And whenever you have large counties uh, that are four times our population getting 100 times more vaccine, that's not equitable distribution. Mm -hmm. And and so I think we need – we. In that aspect, it hasn't worked.
0: Yeah. I, it really created a problem. I was working through our Texas Department of Emergency Management chain. That's one avenue we have, our channel to get to Austin. And, uh, you know, I was looking at the uh, Moderna vaccine distribution list, and whenever I saw some, um, some pharmacies receiving them prior to our FCH hospital here in Jack County receiving them, I was a little bit upset and, um, uh, you know, I thought, here we go, big business controlling Austin. And, and it goes back to something that, you know, of course we're probably the most, uh, you know, cook County is probably the largest County as far as population in your district, followed by what Montague, Jack, uh, young, obviously maybe Childress up in that area, but you know, a lot of the decisions that are being made in the state of Texas come from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Harris County, Bexar County, Travis County, you know, and that's where most of our population is. Yes. And, you know, rural Texas has got to have a voice. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that's one of the things as, as you make your way to Austin, man, I hope that, that you scream at the top of your lungs that rural Texas is what makes Texas, Texas. And I
1: think you're exactly right, and I think after redistricting, it's going to be even harder for rural Texas to have a voice uh, because that population center is in that in that triangle between Dallas-Fort Worth, San Antonio, and Houston, and that's where, although we're seeing some population growth in Cook County, it's minuscule compared to what, what is happening in the Metroplex, and, and we need to make sure that rural Texas is being heard as loudly and as clearly at the
0: at the state level what are some of the uh, hot topics what what what's going to be your platform what what's your takeaways today
1: well i think as a coming from it from a local government standpoint it's obviously local decision making i still consider myself i consider myself a conservative and i still consider the one of the fundamental aspects of conservatism is government closest to the people governs best Mm -hmm. and so the more discretion we can give to the local level the the better those decisions will make. We see people at the gas station, at church, at at the grocery stores. We see them every day as elect as local officials, and we hear that voice of the people much louder than higher levels of government does, and that's simply because of population. The next thing is we've got to, and I and I've been working at it f- at, with the National Association of Counties for a number of years now. We've got to address rural broadband. We have to. I've b- served on. Uh, two different committees with the National Association of Counties uh, working on that issue actually helped develop uh, uh, through the Rural Action Caucus a, a broadband testing app called Test It that actually sends that data directly to the FCC to say, hey, your mapping is wrong because mapping drives funding. Right. And if your mapping is wrong, then your funding is wrong, and the people that really need funding in the areas that really need that funding are simply not getting it. And and I think that that crowdsourced data really helped over the past year because they're starting to make changes at that national level on how they how they the formula used for those maps. And so I know that's very granular and very nuanced. But if the maps are more correctly identif- if the maps more correctly identify where where your problems are, then there's a lot of funding out there. Then that funding can be pushed
0: down to those areas that that actually need it. Yeah, Hefner, I'm surprised I didn't hear an amen out of you over there. (laughs) I'm over here nodding my head. Yeah, he's a pastor of Mountain Home Church. And so uh, I was I almost just right in the middle of local government comment. I want (laughs) just say, preach it, it, brother. Come on, man, let it rock. It is. It's so critical. Um, Those basic things. uh, You had mentioned uh, mental health. And I know as a county judge, you know, uh, we deal with, you know, nobody likes to talk about mental health issues. And, um, I can't tell you, I never, whenever I took this office two years ago, I didn't realize that I would be faced with so many, uh, emergency detention orders. And I would be, um, having people go to Wichita falls, yeah. uh, whether it's red river or North Texas, uh, state hospital. Uh and I've got a couple of them in Vernon, which is more of a forensic bed. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that in rural Texas we have a mental health problem.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's not just rural Texas, but rural Texas has been magnified because the number of state beds is is severely limited. limited. And and I think if we don't address mental health and and it's going to require and and as a conservative I know this makes people cringe, but it's going to require more funding for mental health, but there's there's the humanitarian aspect of that. But the financial aspect of it is if you're not housing them in an appropriate facility or if you're not treating them in an outpatient way, they're in our county jails. And that is $50, 60 $70 a day, maybe more for somebody that has to be closely watched. It's probably closer to $100 a day versus tens of dollars or less to treat somebody properly. So you actually in the long run end up saving money
0: is if you properly address mental health on the front end. I guarantee you, I, I did not realize that, but it, you get the first one that's at your county jail. Our our employees, first of all, they are trained, but mm-hmm. they're not extensively trained to deal with those type of inmates. And what I found, Jason, is is what aggravates the heck out of me is is whenever, yes, there's family members or a doctor or somebody says, hey, These individuals need to be in a facility receiving treatment, and then whenever we transport them to Wichita Falls, they don't meet criteria, which basically means we don't have bed space. And they come back, and either we make a decision. If they've committed an offense, they do retain in the county jail, or we release them, and their families have to struggle through it. And it's definitely a problem. It's... it drives me crazy.
1: Yeah, and then it, then they become repeat offenders because they're constantly being called upon because somebody needs to help. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's
0: nowhere to help them. And the the easiest solution at the moment is the county jail. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it goes back to your comment about the importance about uh, rural Internet connectivity. Um, the Teladoc does create a little bit of an opportunity. We can do... Uh, the telepsych or um, the psychiatric medicine type profile to allow the person to come into a jail. And at least if we have bandwidth, we could even do the video, video conferencing. conferencing. And I think that's the, that's the importance of broadband is it
1: doesn't just, it, it's not just so you and I can watch YouTube. It, it impacts healthcare It impacts education. It impacts local businesses ability to, to sell their products. I mean, it, it, it touches so many different areas that it's it's imperative. You know, rural Texas is losing population in in most of its areas, and if we don't address rural broadband, it that that will become more pronounced over the years.
0: Well, and it's really manifested itself during this COVID situation. I'm sure Cook County is just like Jack County in some ways. You know, our population is is below ten thousand, but during COVID. People fled and sought refuge in Jack County from the Dallas Fort Worth area because a lot of them lease property or they have vacation homes mm-hmm. or at least deer camps. Yeah. And they they for six weeks or more, they came out and conducted business remotely via Zoom. Yeah. And they finally realized, gosh, there's parts of Jack County that can't get Cell phone service. Yeah, it was highlighted immensely during, during this COVID yeah. crisis. Yeah. So it's something that needs to be addressed in our next session. It needs to be spotlighted. Yes. And uh, I, I think it's something, you know, I try to find something positive out of everything that, that happens, mm-hmm. negative. And COVID has identified those things, yeah. and it's been a good thing. All right. Well, how, uh, how is your commissioner's court handling your uh, resignation?
1: Well, so the, the quirk in the law in, in is that I had to resign to run, and, and I made that decision, and I, I resigned, and it was triggered when I made my announcement. But there's also a provision in the Texas Constitution that basically means you can't have a vacancy because of continuity of government in, in most of these offices. And so the commissioner's court has the duty and the obligation to appoint my replacement as county judge to fulfill the last two years of my term. Uh, they are they're working through that process is the most delicate way to put it um hopefully they'll make that decision soon i am still a voting member of court but they're the ones that are going to have to live with the choice so i'm i'm putting as much of that responsibility on them to to come up with uh with the best candidate i know they're meeting again on monday to to talk about uh the process part of that is we have a new commissioner that's coming in january 1st and so we wanted wanted them to be part of that process (laughs) as well welcome
0: (laughs) welcome welcome to put your feet into the fire no kidding so
1: there's uh yeah welcome to it so here's uh here's your first decision is to figure out who
0: who's leading
1: the uh conducting the commissioner's court going forward so i
0: I absolutely love it they're going to miss you and they have no idea the responsibilities of a county judge i one of the first things I learned real quick. Of course I was a commissioner before I became county judge and I really thought the judge just had that one function and I'm thinking, why aren't you why don't you have this lined out? Because the only thing you're doing is preparing for a commissioner's court and you got two weeks to do that. Oh brother. Oh no. That that's a joke. <laughs> that's the easy part. That is the easy thank you for saying that, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> commissioner's Court is the easy yes. part. That's where I'm most of the time not in a hostile setting, yeah. and I'm working with peers that we should be all like-minded. That's mm-hmm. the only safe place of my two-week period is yeah. in commissioner's court. Yeah, and most of
1: the time, by the time something's coming to commissioner's court, you you have found a solution or a potential solution to right. that problem. Uh, it's addressing the problem on the front end is the part that happens behind oh, my the scenes goodness. that most people don't realize.
0: <laughs> I got to say something. I'm so glad um, – you know, I've noticed whenever I look in the mirror that my gray hair is beginning to make a uh, definite change. So, uh, you know. Well, mine turned loose before it turned gray, so I didn't have to worry about that. But it, man, you grow a good beard. Well, so. that's I yeah. have to have
1: some hair on my head somewhere, so I figure I might as well try to grow a good <laughs> beard instead.
0: Well, uh, you had mentioned your wife a little bit in our your introduction, and so is she um Tell me a little bit about your wife. She in the healthcare industry. She is. She does orthotics and prosthetics. So she's
1: a, a, a sort a certified uh, orthotic and prosthetic. I don't. I don't know her actual title. Please don't tell her that. But she's been doing that for for about uh, uh, about ten years now, and she also does uh, art. So she's an artist. She does murals. Uh, paintings and 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 is is really loved uh, uh, around Gainesville she's done some some murals in Cook County and actually some down uh, some down in Central Texas where she's originally from she's originally from Bosque County Uh, so so she's done some down down in that area and she also does mission work in Africa so this year she couldn't with COVID but she usually goes over twice a year to to fit prosthetic devices on individuals oh, wow. in, in Zambia, Africa. That's pretty cool. She's got, a, she's got a passionate heart for that stuff.
0: Wow. That's a servant's heart for she, sure.
1: She is, she is spectacular.
0: I didn't know that. I, I did do a little bit of homework, and I saw that she has um, done at least three murals there in Gainesville. Yeah, in Cook County she and, has. And I'm going to tell you, next time I come through Gainesville, I'm going to go look because I love that. that. To me, that's local. Yeah. Um, I love to see as you travel through the different counties of Texas, you know, if you go through Wise County, you'll see, you know, the big old Coca-Cola. Or if you come through Jack County, you'll see on the northwest corner of our, our square, you'll see the mural that has the brands of Jack County yeah. and kind of what our heritage of farming and ranching and oil and gas and, and what our mainstays are. And I just love that passion and so
1: Yeah, it adds something especially to your downtown areas. It really it really it really does add something and she's got a couple others lined up but hopefully in in the in the square area of of Gainesville here shortly after the first of the year. So she's she's very passionate about that. She and I may be slightly biased, but I think she she
0: does an extraordinary job. I love that. You know, we uh, we had Mike Smith on a few episodes ago and he's our city manager at Jacksboro and we have the EDC and the chamber scheduled to come in in the next couple of weeks and we want to make sure that we remember Katie because as we beautify our downtown a revitalization I guess is the word we should use um, I think by the use of murals and the colors and stuff it just it kind of brings it and makes it come alive.
1: It really does. It makes it pop, and it makes that business much more. I mean, people notice that and catch that and say, "Oh, what business is that on?" So, I mean, it does drive, does drive foot traffic as well.
0: I love that yeah. very much. So, you know, I think we've got a couple of mutual friends up in Cook County. I was creeping on your Facebook page. Um, your former sheriff, or well, your current sheriff, Ray Tom Sappington. Yes. Yeah. We were. We are DPS Academy classmates. A ninety. So I'm, I met Ray Tom back in 90 down in Austin, uh, and so we went through the DPS Academy together, and we served in Highway Patrol. He's a good guy, man. Yeah, you, you're surrounded by great guys. He great is. Men.
1: He is. He actually takes office January 1, so he's getting sworn in as the new sheriff. Uh, he likes to joke that he had Easter eggs for me when I was a kid, so he's, he's a couple of years older <laughs> than I am. But... Yeah, I think he'll do a, a great job and, and I worked with him some when I was a JP and he was a state trooper. So. Yeah,
0: he was he was I guess he was highway patrol sergeant. That's true. You know, in in, in the highway patrol world, a highway patrol sergeant's probably the hardest working guy there is. Um uh, he manages your local D P S office, but uh those guys are kind of what a county judge is. They're kind of the cheerleaders for the highway patrol. They're the guys that take the heat, they're the heat shield, but man, they're that's a tough job. I, I I tell you what, I my heart goes out to those guys, and so uh, and then also um, I noticed that John Fleming had liked a lot of your posts and stuff. Do you know John? Yeah, I
1: know John. He was actually the pastor there at uh, First United Methodist Church in, in Gainesville. Uh, he he just moved to Oregon actually uh, back this summer, uh, so that's where I go to church. And and I was when he came in, I was the chair of of uh, SPRC it's it's the basically HR committee uh and then I was I've been ad council chair for for the last year or so so I've worked closely with John uh on the early end of COVID and then he he was uh, I know they moved to uh to Oregon area and I think they're enjoying it up there
0: what a great opportunity I met John whenever he was the pastor in Henrietta oh yeah and then uh, we were sad to lose him because a lot of our friends we had a close connection with John and his wife and then, uh, but you know, Gainesville wasn't very far away. And then, whenever he had the opportunity to uh, to go to Oregon to mm-hmm. the Northwest, I thought, what a what a wow. major change! But couldn't find a more passionate, humbled. Yes. Um, I don't know. I have a I have a a very special place in my heart for John Fleming. Yeah, so he's he's a great guy. I, he he truly helped me through some difficult times. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, but anyway. Jason Brinkley, man, it has absolutely been an honor to sit down, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your very compacted, busy schedule. I, As we were preparing for this broadcast or podcast, um, I said, Jason, dadgum, we're wasting time. I mean, you we've talked for 20 minutes before we even started recording, and that time is very valuable, and I want you to know we recognize that. And, and I hope that this um, podcast is allowed – um, the voters in district 68 just to know you a little better. So uh, as we take this out, give us some final thoughts give us your um, your best line. Uh, what do you want the people to know about about you?
1: Well I, I'm probably not the best politician out there. Uh, I consider myself more of a nuts and bolts workhorse guy so I, I really like to uh, to represent House District 68 and and actually accomplish, some of the, the the issues we talked about that need to be addressed. They may not be the necessarily the most flashy issues out there, but they're issues that really impact lives and can really enhance the lives of, of individuals in HD 68.
0: I first met you, and then we'll close this thing out. I uh, first met you at a judge's meeting uh, two years ago, and I was brand new to the scene. I was a very small fish, and as I've said many times, I know my place amongst those powerful men, uh, especially with judges. And one of the first things I do is, is I kind of size up the room, and I, I sit in a strategic place. I, you know, my highway patrol kind of comes out, and I <laughs> kind of size up the room and kind of see uh, who everybody is and who the players were. Jason, I've told you this before. Immediately, I identified you as somebody who was probably one of the most intelligent men in that group of judges. Now, this is this is probably – 20 county judges, mm-hmm. definitely we're on the younger side of the group. Mm-hmm. A lot of experience, maturity, and wisdom in there. And I'm telling you, very quickly I saw that um, you had the respect of all those men at that table. And when you spoke, they actually listened and knew you were educated, you had thought it out, and you responded correctly. And so um, I identified you from the very start as somebody that – um, had bigger aspirations and, and were was equipped for that. And that's why I say I, I want to go back that uh, I want to remind you that you didn't just decide to do this um, a week ago. You have been prepared for this opportunity uh, whenever you first decided to become the Justice of the Peace and plus being an attorney. And that's one other thing I want to quickly address um, do you think that will give you a little more insight or clarity as you prepare to go to Austin, or um, do you feel like that's um, uh, that's a hindrance?
1: I think it's got to be a benefit. It's benefited me enormously as county judge and just the ability to to dissect statute in a in a very quick fashion and and kind of see what the maybe unintended consequences of of legislation is. Because that's what you know there's going to be six thousand bills or something filed. and the ability to to kind of recognize what this says or what it doesn't say or what it probably should say is is I think it's a, a tremendous asset.
0: I agree with you hundred uh, percent. I think your knowledge and your education, first, you're an Aggie that's and then and good. then and then pushing through and had the desire to go to law school uh, will definitely help you on your path to Austin. so uh, Jason Brinkley. Uh, candidate for Texas House District 68. January 23rd is a very critical date. That's a Saturday day. That's a Saturday election. Uh, but I would encourage each and every one of our listeners today to make sure that early voting starts on January 11th, and that's just within two weeks. Two weeks yes, and it's going to be here quick. So it is. the most important thing is is please go vote. Yes, go vote and let your voice be heard. Exactly. And so. Again, Jason, thanks so very much for coming. I I hope that your travels in the next three weeks are safe. And um, anyway, I hope this has helped you in some way.
1: Thank you, Judge. Thank you for having me. You bet. Absolutely. Take us out, Frank.